On this episode of the High Impact Man podcast, you're going to get introduced to a man by the name of William Fred Hess. We know him just as Fred Hess, or we also know him as Crispy in the gloom uh, out there with his brothers in the uh, packs of F3 Susquehanna Valley. He's one of our own, and he's going to share his story of growing up, uh, getting to know the Lord at a, at a young age, being involved in Young Life um, and other groups. And he's going to share his story of how he ultimately made his way to medical school to become a spine surgeon, uh, missionary work that he's done, fixing a lot of different back problems in young people uh, that uh, really kind of just changed their lives. Um, and he's just going to share of how his faith has just led him all the way through his life. Uh, a lot of great stories, a great man, great testimony. You're going to really enjoy this uh, episode. So sit back and enjoy. Welcome to the High Impact Man podcast. High impact men from across the nation sharing their stories of inspiration, encouragement, and hope. Gosh, seek transformational relationships. Now, what you're hearing from the culture is not right. Pick up the six, you know what I mean? But you never know who your six sometimes is. Stop being less. To help others become the virtuous leaders they are called to be and that our nation desperately needs. Welcome to another episode of the High Impact Man podcast. I'm your host, Devin Gorky. Some of you know me. Some of you are tuning in for the first time. Uh, in the F3 world, I'm known as DFib. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Troy Klinger. His name is Dial-Up in the F3 world. And uh, Dial-Up, you know, um, it's always good to have your orthopedic surgeon there playing basketball with you. That is true. <laughs> and I have uh, well, been... Well, hold on. I, I guess... So my experience with with basketball though is let's see I, I busted my finger one time mm-hmm. and it was it was completely like kind of going up and pointing the wrong direction and I made the mistake of listening to the 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 doctor that was there who just happens to be a dentist <laughs> <laughs> who's like pull on it just maybe pull it's it. pull yeah, pull on it maybe it's just out of joint right uh-huh. and so I okay I pulled on it and it did go straight yeah you know, in his defense but you know went back in the game I'm oh, I'm good let's go play. Uh-huh. And as soon as the next pass came to me, it hit my hand, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. look back down, and it was pointed you know, the wrong <laughs> direction again. And I was like, okay, well, I'm never listening to a dentist again. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, off to the ER we went to, uh, to get it fixed. Yeah. Yeah, I've had multiple injuries that have been uh, uh, treated uh, playing basketball. One of the reasons why I retired uh, three years ago. Yeah. I don't get injured as much playing uh, or doing F3, but uh, and I, I'm better, more fit overall. However... Turns out I probably tore a rotator cuff driving a van. So there you have that. Uh, but uh, anyway, yeah, that, was, that was our, yeah, our just discussion a few minutes ago, right? Is right. How, how did you tear your shoulder? Yeah, there's a new one for uh, up, everybody. Uh, driving to the Blue Ridge Relay. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, w- I was Mysteries at Chick fil A eating a chicken sandwich. It was a heavy chicken sandwich. A heavy chicken sandwich. <laughs> I had to slap Spielberg's hand away from should taking have, my fries. Should have left the cheese off or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's because the cow was after you. Yeah, yeah right. something. <laughs> Eat more chicken. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, our guest today uh, is Dr. Uh, William Fred Hess. We, uh, he goes by Fred, Dr. Hess. Uh, in the F3 world, he's known as Crispy. Uh, he's a member of our region here. He's in studio because he lives here in Danville. And uh, he's got a long uh, resume. Uh, he's an orthopedic surgeon, but more importantly, a spine specialist. And uh, his current uh, position is emerit- Emeritus Chief of Spine at the Janet Weiss Children's Hospital Geisinger Medical Center in Danville, PA. So he fixes not only adults, but uh, specializes in fixes, uh, fixing kids with uh, scoliosis and various spine problems and trauma and all that. 
Um, I'm very fortunate to know him, uh, and he's a brother of ours, and we go to church with him at the First Baptist Church of Danville, where he serves currently as a deacon. Yes. And uh, sometimes music leader, guitar player, worship leader. Uh, in various aspects, and he's done a lot more than that, mission trips and different things like that. So uh, we're really excited to have him on the on the show because we have all kinds of questions for him, at least I do, And uh, but we're going to, again, as always, have him share his story. So, uh, Fred, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. So my, my story starts uh, in York, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where I was born. Uh, my dad was with the YMCA at that time. My dad was actually a very successful college football player. And had, had where did he play? At Albright College. Albright, where you went, yeah. Where I went, and he uh, actually had several professional offers. Wow. Uh, the Bears, uh, the Eagles, the Giants, and the Packers, I believe. And at that time, he um, he basically made the decision that he didn't think professional sports was a good place to raise a family, so he chose to work for the YMCA. Okay. So uh, salaries were a little different back then. Uh, yeah, they were a little different. <laughs> um, but in any case, he uh, we're in York. He moved to Johnstown, and then uh, in my uh, halfway through my second grade year in school, he accepted a job in Cocoa, Florida, for the Central Bavard YMCA, and we moved there. And I bring all that up because one of the things I very firmly remember from childhood, so we're obviously very involved Mm -hmm. uh, with all the things at the Y, but he always said uh, YMCA with the emphasis on the C, Mm -hmm. emphasis on the fact that it's the Young Men's Christian Association. It's not the rec center. It's not where everybody goes and plays, which is what a lot of people think of, but that um, has had stood with me through the years. Um, grew up in a Christian church. Um, the oldest of four brothers. Um, that's another story in and of itself. Um, but the um, I came to a personal relationship with the Lord when I was twelve. Mm-hmm. I was at a church camp, and I had. Um, I'd actually helped teach Sunday school with um, a very special lady, Mrs. Myrtle Ford. And um, so I I knew the Bible stories. I knew a lot about the Bible. I mean, I could tell you all the things. Mm-hmm. But as, as usually is the case, um, something happened where the, uh, the Lord just spoke to me and said, uh, are you going to keep just knowing the things or are you going to start committing to it and believing it? Mm-hmm. And that became very apparent to me. So at that, at that point, I accepted the Lord. Um, they were very, they were trying to, they encouraged everyone to get baptized right away. And I said, well, I do want to get baptized right away, but I want to wait until I'm home with my parents because right. I think that would be special for them. Yeah. So I got baptized that weekend. And, of course, from there, everything was very simple, um, which anybody knows is malarkey. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, All right. Sin sin doesn't go away just because you make a profession of faith and you choose to follow him. Right. It's a a walk every day. So so from there, I uh, uh, went into high school and 
was uh, continued to be very involved with sports, involved with the Y. My high school was blessed to have um, multiple people from Taylor University, and uh, they were very strong with Fellowship Christian Athletes. And we actually started a bus ministry called the Lynx, where they would take groups of uh, different high school kids and take them on trips up to like Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and go hike Chimney Rock and do weekend trips um, as an outreach to uh, share share the share the Lord with high school kids. Mm-hmm. So uh, did that, and uh, from there went to college. Um, now, before you go a little further, yes, so in ahead. high school you were involved with uh, sports. I know you played football. You played yes. basketball too. In high school, I played football, basketball, swimming, and I was an ad hoc wrestler. Um, I was at swimming practice one day. Somebody couldn't make weight. <laughs> so my my brother was a very good wrestler. My brother was a four-time district champion. Wow, yeah. So um, I'm out in swimming practice at Merritt Island High School. Please tell me you didn't go wrestle in your speedo. <laughs> um, no, they gave they gave me the wrestling tights. Uh, yeah, of yeah. course, that's Which much better. Is, but, yeah. Oh yeah, it's much better. Um, but they they literally stopped me in swimming practice and said, "We need you to come into the gym." Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, so I went in and got weighed, and un- unfortunately, I. I, I had to wrestle 188, and at the time I weighed 165. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, however, I'm, however, I'm guessing. Go I, ahead. I won. Oh, there you <laughs> go. Nice. nice. Was it one of those you just had to? Did they forfeit? Oh no, 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 sorry, no. Yeah. Hey, what was the connection to Taylor University? It was like a partnership that your school the, had with them. The the vice principal at our school was uh, Rudy Moberg. He was from Taylor. The wrestling coach was Bob Diller. He was from Taylor. Um, there were multiple guys on the uh, football coaches that were from Taylor. Okay. The head uh, female gym ta- teacher, Marcia Hayden, was from Taylor. And Taylor's so, a Christian university. Taylor's Christian yeah, university. And this was a public high school that these guys... In yeah, Upland, yeah. Indiana. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, unless unless my my respect brain is not working, Taylor is home of the Silent Night basketball game every year, right? Which is, like, the huge tradition where, like, they stay quiet for, like, the first so many points, and then, like, it erupts. It'd be like a bucket list thing for me to go see. It's a really yeah. cool event. I didn't know about that. You need to YouTube it. Check it out. It's okay. a really, really awesome tradition that they and have. It's, and it's also the home of Wonder and Wheels which was a ministry that was started by Bob Davenport that uh, they do these ridiculous bike trips hmm. like across the country. Right. <laughs> wow. Very so, cool. And that's where the bus, hmm. the bus ministry started at Taylor as part of the Wondering Wheels. Yeah. So the ah. bus would go with the bike trip. Okay. Nice. So they'd bike and then they'd sleep. Well, Dialup has a bus. bike. Very cool. I do have a bike. Yeah. So cool. All right. So yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt oh, that's your, right. your flow there. I um, and, and obviously football was uh, what you ended up so playing football. College, but go football ahead. was the main yeah. uh, main main thing, and that's what I I went to college. I walked on. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a four year letterman at Albright, and played offensive center, middle linebacker. Was also also a kicker. My senior year, I was. Were the, you really? I was the kicker, and. Uh, and I 
did okay. I was all conference my senior year. At center? At center. Yeah. I was well, also the smallest lineman in the conference. Well, yeah, but I mean, just, I mean here's a guy to say, quit swimming, come in here, win a wrestling meet, match yeah. for us. He goes win a wrestling match. <laughs> and he's he's, like, you still have your football jersey, right? Didn't you? Uh, didn't I still, you? yeah. We, I, I don't think you participated in this, but year, like years ago, like the, the youth group at church was like talking smack about flag football that like they would whoop up on the, the adults. <laughs> And yeah. and so it, it was game on, right? Mm-hmm. It and, was, and we handed a pretty big smackdown on the on the young guys. And I remember you showing up with your jersey on. I was like, "Yeah, Fred's Fred is all in, dude!" <laughs> he like broke he got the Albright like, jersey. It, like this is the competition, right? This is you the, fit in it, right? The, yeah, so, like it's well, it's, it, it's it, going it, down. It's, it's kind of a, a funny addendum to that. Is so up until a couple of years ago, I was the team doctor for the high school yeah. for 28 years. I just yeah. noticed you weren't on the sideline this year. Yeah. yeah. Um, you have to have to make a decision. Do I still want to do football in high school? Yeah, I do. But do I want to spend time with my grandkids? Yeah. Right. Yeah. No brainer. Time yeah. with my grandkids. Easy, yeah. easy choice. But um, it was very funny. Um, the orthopedic department played Geisinger had in real football league. Yep, I remember those days. The too. orthopedic department had yeah. a pretty good football team. Yeah, and uh, at the time, uh, Carm De Francesco was the head coach yeah. of Danville, and he wanted to scrimmage. He wanted to get the kids to do passing scrimmages, so uh-huh. it was seven on seven. Uh-huh. So we uh, said, "Sure, we'll do that." So we came out, and you know, passing scrimmage. You know, you not a whole lot of contact, but you know, you count to two and then rush, you know, just to avoid that. Well, this is your old, this is the old ortho flag football team. Yeah. From the Geisinger flag football league. That's I, football I, had, league. I had no idea you guys did that. <laughs> so we, uh, we played with them and the, the best linemen for the football team were doing this and he, you know, I'm, I'm centering. We kind of psyched him out because we went under center for the first, came up and they go, mm-hmm. what are we, these old guys are snapping <laughs> the ball? You know, not just yeah. shotgun it. Um, but anyway, they, uh, <clears throat> he kept rushing and, and I told him, I said, you know, we're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to count to two and do this. Oh yeah, yeah. And he did it again. <laughs> and uh, I said, you know, you can you can follow the rules or we'll play this otherwise. So he did it one more time and I said, Okay, you've been warned. <laughs> so he came in the next time and I pancaked him. <laughs> and 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 he got up all upset uh-huh. and went over to, to Carm and Carm said, Hey, listen, I know exactly what he told you and I know he told you that and and I also told you don't mess with him because we played against each other in college, and I, re- <laughs> and I remember him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, that's so awesome. I, yeah, I didn't know about that. Who was your quarterback? Uh, it was Dean Harder. Was Dean the quarterback Harder. on our team? Wow, yeah. okay. he's another uh, orthopedic surgeon yeah. at the hospital. Yeah. Jerry, I remember Jerry Cush playing. Yeah, Jerry played. You guys also. Re- ten- there was also discussions when they would interview guys coming in for their fellowships about oh this guy played college football hmm he'd be great for a flag football team <laughs> <laughs> so right <laughs> it was weighing in it was weighing in on the recruiting process well, for, the, for the fellowship program really. jerry maybe, cush maybe jerry cush claims to have shut those thoughts down <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So yeah, they take their stuff seriously there. Well, that was so. But anyway, so that was through. It's just kind of gets us through there. Mm-hmm. The uh, most important thing uh, about college, well, I'd say the two most important things. Um, uh, one was I got introduced to Young Life. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a couple things about, I mean, obviously being involved with FCA and the group from Taylor, right. I had a pretty good evangelistic background, but um, I didn't really grasp evangelism until I got involved with Young Life. And we, uh, both Heather, uh, my wife and I were, she had invited me to go and we were involved with that. And we worked at different schools uh, because we, uh, it's un- unbelievable we actually thought about this, that it wouldn't be good for us to work at the same school. Yeah. Focus on the kids, not on each other. Uh-huh. Um, this is before you were married. Before we were married. Yeah. But the, um, just seeing the difference of what Young Life did and the there's two things that the founder of Young Life, the guy named Jim Rayburn, who was from Texas, um, one of his premises was it's a sin to bore a kid with the gospel. Mm-hmm. And that has stuck with me through the years, and I like to make a translation of that. It's a sin to bore anyone with the with gospel. The gospel. Yeah, yeah. So you need we we need to make it exciting because it is exciting because it changes your life and the second thing was you have to earn the right to be heard and in young life that's called contact work and that simply means being there you know it's if if you want to know the most important thing as parents the most important thing we can do with our kids is how do they spell love t-i-m-e right so you have to be there and earn the right to be heard. So those things have, have kind of continued to stick with me, and I try to use that as I the other things that I've been involved with. The most important thing about college, though, is I met Heather. Right. Heather's my wife. Um, she was uh, a nursing student and uh, nurse, and uh, the... Uh, one of the interesting things that happened in college, I didn't, I didn't have enough finances to go more than the first semester. <laughs> but I walked on the football team, and I did okay academically, so I got enough scholarships. I was able to, between loans and scholarships, was able to finish school. But I didn't have enough money to go, so I started looking at things. I was originally a math physics major, mm-hmm. and I looked at forestry and pharmacy because I could transfer into those things and get a job yeah. Right away. For the life of me, I still cannot tell you why I picked pharmacy mm-hmm. rather than forestry. I mean, YMCA, football, right. sports. Yeah. Right. We hunted, we fished. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I still can't explain that. Well, yeah, I can. That's what the Lord wanted me to do. But um, so I picked pharmacy. So I picked up, started picking up the courses and I was in an anatomy and physiology class with a uh, curmudgeon of a professor who had a heart of gold but wouldn't mm-hmm. let anybody know that. So I was in uh, anatomy lab one day, and she walked by and says, what are you doing with your life? I said, well, you know what I'm doing with my life. I'm going to pharmacy school. Why are you going to go to pharmacy school? 
You go to pharmacy school so some doctor can tell you what to do. That's ridiculous. You should just go to medical school. <laughs> and when I picked myself off the floor from laughing, yeah. I went, uh, I had dinner that night with Heather and her roommate because they were living in an apartment off campus and said, you're never going to believe what Kara's told me today. She told me I should go to medical school. Isn't that crazy? Ha ha ha. And I looked at them and they're both just looking at me and go, yeah, why not? <laughs> so, um, so partway through college, I'd never thought about going into medicine. I said, okay. So I took the MedCat and picked up the other courses and Lo and behold, I got into medical school in uh, Tampa. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we uh, had a very busy end of college. We graduated. Uh, I graduated on June 4th. Um, we got married on June 10th mm -hmm. in Reading, Pennsylvania. Wow. Where Albright is. And July 1st, I started medical school in Tampa. Ooh. So, the whirlwind. The yeah, honeymoon is warm. driving down to Tampa. <laughs> that, yeah, there was, there was no honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. so that's how we ended up there. And uh, from there, we uh, I did internship, did residency. Um, I would say a large part of our story um, sort of resonates as we um, went through there. We had to do payback time. In uh, with the Indian Health Service in yeah, Gallup, before New Mexico. Before you do that, and I, yes. I really want I really want you to talk about that. But you got to tell everybody how you got the name Crispy because it involves meeting your wife. So when I uh, <laughs> can't believe you still remember that. <laughs> um, so when I started at uh, Albright, I knew no one. The only people I knew at school were um, a senior who was on the football team. Robin Heineke, and his girlfriend was Carol Rank. She was from Lewisburg. And I only knew them because they'd done a little, you know, magazine article talking about the school. Yeah. So those were the only people I knew. And so I'm at football camp, and Robin says, oh, told Carol, this, there's this kid that doesn't know anybody. You know, they tried to kind of take me under the wing. Well, Carol's roommate was Heather. Ah. They said, well, we're making Rice Krispie treats tonight. Why don't you come over? Mm -hmm. So I, uh, they invited, invited us over after practice, and it was, it was especially grueling practice. And I, um, down in the dormitory kitchen, you know, a little table, two mm -hmm. chairs. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sitting there, and they go up to get stuff. They come back down. I'm sitting in the chair, and I said, you know, I... I apologize, and you guys need to understand, I was very quiet and very shy, um, and I said, I am just exhausted. I said, I would normally get up and let you sit down, but I'm just so tired, you're welcome to sit on my knee. <laughs> That's a great move. Well played. Spielberg. All right. Spielberg, you listening to this? So, um, She fell for and, it. And, and she, oh, no, no, no. And so, anyway, so she... She sat on the floor. I said, no, please sit in that. So I got out, sat on the floor. Chair stayed empty. Um, mm. But anyway, so that's that was pretty much how I met my wife. But that's how I got my F3 name because of the Rice Krispie Treats. Right. So. 
All right. So no, I, I want to just back up for a second because I know that um, you talked about how getting involved with Young Life helped you um, sort of better understand, appreciate, or whatever evangelism. But you know, you, you, you uh, came to know the Lord when you were twelve. Yes. Um, I gotta imagine that it's, it's a di- it's a different world going to college. Yes. Did, did that test your faith at all, or you know, how did that work out? Because you know, now you're on your own. You, you know, you're away from home. Well, I think, I mean, I think all all aspects of life test who you are yeah. and what and what you believe in. Um, the, you know, I I shared that the importance that young life did, was and and showed to me but the 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 values that were instilled by my parents by Sunday school teachers were were just part of me and that got matured through seeing the lives of mm-hmm. the coaches and people that were involved with FCA and when i got to college i I mean, you never waver from just, those convictions. Yeah. I didn't waver from that. Yeah. Of course, the other the other thing that probably helped. Now I'm understand. I'm a football player. I'm an offensive lineman. Um, and our coach actually took the line out to the bar that came across from the practice field <laughs> mm-hmm. for beer. And uh, I never. There's something about beer that I've never acquired a taste for yeah so so that was probably fortunate yeah but I mean just the the temptations to do things are always there but I just I I just found myself focusing on other things and you know one of the things with young life was that I mean it being involved with worship time with the kids and Mm -hmm. um plays and just spending time you find time to do things and i think the biggest problem uh people have getting off the uh narrow way Mm -hmm. is not having a focus of where where you want to be and what you want to do yeah and and uh, Albright historically is tied to the Methodist Church, right? Am I remember it, that correctly. It started out as a Lutheran seminary, Lutheran, but then it okay. be, but but then it was uh, United United Methodist. It was okay. Yeah. Was was um was you know Christianity or the or the religion um, still pretty heavily um, uh, no. involved in, no. in your studies? There, there was just, there was uh, a, ex, you know the exposure there. There was a reli- there? there was a religion part department there and uh there were some wonderful professors in fact one of uh one of our professors was a guy named bill marlowe who um is very very special he was uh one of the pastors for at our wedding mm-hmm. um and uh there there were some i took a a new testament class with him mm-hmm. and it was just uh was a special it was a special time with uh there were several things that that happened there and uh just just seeing people live out what they believe through things um was special yeah 
So, I, I interrupted yes. you. Go ahead. You were uh, uh, moving on to because the government paid for medical. school? They paid for medical school, so I did indentured servitude to go back to the, and I chose to go to the Indian Health Service. Um, one of the funny things about that was um, I had done a rotation uh, as a senior student at Geisinger. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, I, don't, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. October of... Uh, so Redding's about an hour, a little over an hour away? Is that well, right? we were in Tampa. Oh, right. Oh, right. Yeah. You were down oh, in Tampa at that wow. point, right? Yeah. But um, but a lot of my family's you still, still from Mechanicsburg, and Heather's mom was living in Lake Winona, Schuylkill Haven. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and I saw that. I said, that's kind of interesting. Maybe I should go look and at And what that. year was this? This was October of 1980. 1980. So when the Philadelphia Phillies won the World yeah, Series, yeah, baby, Larry Boa, Steve Carl, Mike Schmidt, right. Mike Schmidt, baby, I could go on and on. Yeah. Rose, Joe. Oh, so anyway, so anyway, <laughs> I, I, I did a rotation. Really liked it. Um, they, I explained to them what my situation was, and I, the when you do uh, graduate medical education, it goes through something called the match, where everybody kind of puts their name. You rank places, and then right. you find out where you go. Um, well, they knew that I would have to do do my internship the first year. I'd have to go to the Indian Health Service mm-hmm. for a year and then come back and finish my orthopedics, and then I was going to go back and repay the rest of my time with the Indian Health Service. Mm-hmm. So they actually accepted me into the residency outside the match. Oh. So I didn't have to – I mean, I'm, I'm – yeah, I'm I'm on easy street. I'm not. I don't have to worry yeah. about waiting to find out and all yeah. this. And th- that was great until about February of that year. They called. They called just to confirm I had my deferment to do that. Do this. Oh yes, and by the way, um, we want you to do two years. The Indian Health Service. Any Indian Health Service before you go back to do your residency. Oh, and I said you can't do that. Nope. You know, there's no program that's going to hold a, a spot for, for empty a year. spot for two years. Yeah. They'll do it for a year, maybe. But um, so I had to give up my residency. Oh, dang! And uh, that was kind of difficult. But my wife, in her infinite wisdom, said, "Well, you know, Freddie, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe the Lord has something special. Maybe you're supposed to come back to Geisinger as a staff doc someday." <laughs> <laughs> So um, anyway, we went to the uh, went to the Indian Health Service. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. Uh-huh. Um, this was where this was in Gallup, New Mexico. Gallup, New Mexico. Gallup Indian Medical Center, um, and we uh, we attended a, a Christian Reformed Church there. Uh, kind of funny story. We're in the church and we're sitting there, and um, it's kind of interesting to be in a place where you're the minority. Yeah. As a Caucasian. Yeah. Um, So it's mainly Navajo, some Spanish, and a few Caucasians. So we're in in church service, and they're praying, and all of a sudden, they start talking in tongue. And I'm going, I turned to my wife, I said, are we in a Pentecostal church? (laughs) And, and, And then we realized the guy that was praying would flip between Navajo and English. Oh. Ah. Which was which was really pretty cool. Did you learn some Navajo? Yeah, yate. Hello, hello. 
and uh, at the A, <laughs> and uh, you you learn a couple things. Nisgesh is pain very important as a right. doc. Yes, huh? yeah. And then it's kind of funny because they um, there's phrases that the Navajo use, but then there's also some like Spanish stuff that gets incorporated. So mm-hmm. if you know Spanish, TNA means do you have. So if you say tiene nisgesh, they know what you're. They talking. they automatically know what you're talking about. Yeah. So um, that was, it was pretty funny. I was, there was something else I was gonna. You were now. Say about did that. you do? You, you mentioned your residency, but you were were you doing surgery there? I was. Uh, so I'd done my internship mm-hmm. in general surgery, and then we were there for three years. I was a surgical general medical officer. Okay. So basically, what that means is you. You work under the auspices of staff docs. Um, the, sur- the GM, the general medical officers, covered general surgery, orthopedics, OBGYN, and emergency mm-hmm. room. That's quite a range. When you throw the OBGYN in there, yeah, that's quite a range. So, so the funny, <laughs> the funny thing was, on uh, they told me I was going to have to my first rotation was going to be OBGYN. Mm-hmm. So we're driving out to New Mexico and I've got my OB book and <laughs> Heather's quizzing me while we go. Uh-huh. And when we arrived, the, uh, one of the other GMOs came up to me and said, um, uh, I know you're scheduled to do OBGYN. Um, I'm scheduled to do orthopedics. Would you be upset if we switched? Oh, not at all. <laughs> I said, no, we can handle that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so anyway, uh, did had a lot of experience there. Um, learned a heck of a lot from multiple docs there. Yeah, I'll bet. Yeah. What a what a what an experience, man! Because I, I would think that is is the pathology different. Yes, not just because of that neck of the woods, but also the the population. Yes. So, so this uh, biliary disease is endemic. Is that from it's alcoholism? Rampant. Or uh, no, it's just genetic. it's it's intrinsic. Yeah. Well, I mean the hmm. one of the staples is mutton. Oh, okay. So um, mutton bad. Mutton, yeah. So the uh, well, it's bad for there's mutton good about lot, it. A lot of lot of fat. <laughs> Silly guy. Um, it's not good for your. <laughs> but but there, if you find a woman over the age of thirty that didn't have a subcostal scar. For the from having their gallbladder yeah. removed, it was so very unusual. Huh, they got fatty liver and. Yeah, uh, gallbladder this biliary disease, disease. Biliary yeah. disease, yeah. So, um, so you learned that, and um, I had the dubious honor of uh, I was in the ER, covering the ER, and uh, I'm checking a patient there, and they come in, they have kind of a cold and cough, and they got like lymph nodes, and I'm talking to him, and I go look at him, he's got these this big lymph node under his arm, and I, and I look at it, and it's kind of discolored you know, mm-hmm. almost like it's a bruise and 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 i go and <laughs> i'd go talk to the er doc i said pete montgomery i said pete you're gonna think i'm crazy but i told him what was going on i said if i didn't know better i'd think this guy has plague the bubonic, bubonic plague, plague. Yeah. <laughs> and he smiled at me he goes no, you're not nuts. He probably does. So what I came to find out, so in 1983, mm-hmm. um, Fred Hess diagnosed the first case of plague in the U.S. in that year. 
Okay. Plague is endemic on the reservation because huh. it hides in the rats. And yeah. Gallup is actually was the national reference laboratory for the um, FTA, the antibody study to confirm the diagnosis of plague. It was yeah, a reference crazy. lab for the U.S. <laughs> that, didn't, that started in Europe back in like the Dark Ages, right? Oh, yeah, 1600s. And, and uh, killed lots of people. Oh, yeah, 30, 30 to 40% of the population. Yeah, so that's just wild. So is yeah. this like resurfacing there in on the reservation? Well, it's there. It's just yeah, there all the time? It's there all the time. I mean, there's well, there's several cases a year on the huh. reservation because it it's harbored on the... In the in the rats in the rats okay yeah. but the rats in America had to get it from the rats in Europe right I mean yeah who knows that's crazy I don't know they were incommunicado <laughs> ratatouille came, <laughs> came over on the ships yeah well that's wild man yeah. so so how did like how did you get prepared to to go to work on the reservation did did you to learn the language, did you take classes to prepare, or was it like you're just thrown well, in? Well, there's like there's translators. I was, was going to ask, and, or did you just get thrown you in know, with a translator just, and figure yeah, it out? But you, you know, you you speak basically speak English. Okay. You know, the thing you have to remember about Navajo is Navajo is the most difficult language to learn. That's why they were the code. They were the code oh, suckers, oh, right? Wow. Yeah. yeah. The code breakers. Yeah. And the Japanese and the language is actually its closest origins are basically oriental languages but mm -hmm. the you know nobody ever the japanese never broke it yeah i stumbled upon a book that explained how the whole navajo kotaker mm -hmm. the system worked and it like it had all the translations there to like kind of figure it out it was like i'm like looking at it like I, I, yeah, yeah even even when even when you even, <laughs> even if when you they're hear explaining how it works it, right it's like it still doesn't make any it, sense yeah it's like and and actually up until relatively recently it was not a written language it was only a spoken language huh. oh they didn't, they didn't write anything like, they didn't write it all down like, okay really know, that's that's probably within the last 40 or 50 years that huh. it was actually turned into a written language wow in 1980 they didn't have google translate either they did not have google translate <laughs> so so anyway so the um did that and then uh went back to tampa and finished orthopedic residency mm-hmm and, and that's five years? That's five years. So yeah. I had already done my internship, so it was another four years. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I did, uh, at that point, I knew I was interested in spine. Um, however, there was a little, um, we had a couple family deals with that. Um, we have, my wife and I have two children, um, mm -hmm. a daughter, Ashley, and a son, Andy. Um, we have six kiddos waiting for us in heaven. Mm -hmm. We... Uh, we had a lot of lost several kids. I didn't um, know that. I almost, didn't know lost that many. Almost, uh, uh, my wife had two ectopic pregnancies. Wow. Um, uh, the first one, uh, so we lost lost that baby, and she did okay with that. The second one, she had something fairly unusual called a cornu pregnancy, where the uh, the implantation. Um, usually occurs on the inside of the uterus, mm -hmm. on the endometrium. Right. Um, this, the baby implanted in the muscle. Oh. So when you did an ultrasound and looked at looked it, okay. it looked like an intrauterine pregnancy. Yeah, right. But she was having lots of problems, and we had a 
at the end of our internship, we had a graduation party and a pool party, and she uh, she'd been having some like ulcer symptoms. Well, we thought it was just like an ulcer; it was actually a pregnancy. Um, and she kind of got pushed in, and she kind of got sick and threw up. And everybody assumed, oh, it's a party, mm-hmm. drinking, mm-hmm. threw up. Well, we don't drink, right. <laughs> so we took her home, and I called her doc, and as a we're. Uh, her doc answers the phone. I'd hear this voice, Freddie, I'm going. And I looked over and she was unconscious and her She those, bled. Those and I felt her belly. Her belly was as hard as a rock. Yeah. And her doc answered the phone. I said, I don't know what's wrong. She's got an acute abdomen. I'm on my way in. So I picked her up. Her uh she had no radial pulse. Oh boy! But she did have a carotid pulse, uh-huh. which means people in medicine know that your radial pulse you feel at eighty. You still have a carotid pulse when your blood pressure is sixty. Right. But it's indicative that something's she's Ble- bleeding somewhere. Yeah. So took her in, got got her in, walked her in. There's no, there's actually no ER at the women's hospital. They just have a reception area. The nurse. Came down. I said, "We need two IV. Who are you?" I said, "Just do it now. I'm a surgeon." Mm-hmm. <laughs> so resuscitated her, got her in, took her straight up to the OR. Her hemoglobin was three. That's low. Normal. Wow. Normal is twelve to fifteen for a woman. Yeah. Yeah. And um, anyway, that was the reason I I share that is you asked about you know what thing about school. How do you deal with your faith and stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, when you're faced with situations like that, um, that's when you really have a heart to heart with the Lord. Yeah, and you have to to learn to. Uh, there's a verse that I've shared several times in several different situations. It's Proverbs three, five, and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, all your ways. Acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Mm-hmm. And when you're faced with situations like that, that's what you can do. Yeah. And I think the, one of the things that you have to learn to do is, you know, you have to learn to accept that his truth is past our understanding. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I could very easily have lost my wife that that night, but I also had a peace in knowing that he had me in his hands and he had Heather in his hands. And, you know, even if I'd lost her, it would have been very, very difficult. But I had, there was... It's very hard to explain that, um, but it's just something that you know. Yep. So, but anyway, so that's a important part of where we are. We went from there, went to, um, then we went to the Indian Health Service, lost some more children, more kids, had some more miscarriages while we were there. Um, but eventually we had, uh, we, uh, Ashley is actually uh, our oldest. 
And then we had Andy. And then um, right after Andy was born, I had found a, a little bump on my arm. So I had one of my friends take it off. and uh, The bump, not his arm. The bump, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Way to clear that up. <laughs> Just want to make sure. <laughs> and, and it turned out my little, uh, my little bump was a melanoma. Mm-hmm. So I ended up having a resection. I jokingly call it my shark bite. Mm-hmm. And an axillary node dissection um, 10 days after Andy was born. Oh, boy. So once again, we were kind of faced with a little... And you were, uh, were you still, were you finished with your ortho residency at that point? I was in my fourth year. Fourth year, okay. Which is kind of interesting because the, that's when you look at doing fellowships. Right. So when all that happened, I kind of said, no, I'm not going to, I may not be here. I may not be here in five years. Mm-hmm. Um, so. So you had actually no dissection, but they were negative? Neg- nodes were negative. So that, therefore, you didn't need a chemo or anything. And that was really important because yeah. if I had positive nodes, my five-year survival, right, which is whether you'll be alive in five years, um, was 35%. Yeah. With negative nodes, my five-year survival is 88%. Yeah. So yeah. negative nodes were kind of a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, he said, yeah, you actually shared that with me. When it was a while ago now that I had this little mark on my neck. My wife pointed out, she says, I don't like the way that looks. I couldn't see it. And so yeah. Vic Marks, who's retired now, is our Mohs surgeon in Durham. He looked at it. I don't think it is. And my wife's like, I think it is. And, and he's like, well, we'll take it off. And sure enough, mine was melanoma in situ. So it was very early. But yeah. but I didn't know that until what was like a day or so later that you get the results, right? Yeah, so I, had, right. I, I knew that it was melanoma. Or probably is what he said. But anyway, you shared that story with me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I knew that. That's a, it's, it's tough when you face these things, right? Yeah. And that's when your faith really gets tested. Yeah. So um, so anyway, so we went through that. That's uh, the question is, how did I end up doing a fellowship? Um, and I said, I'm not going to do that. And I talked, I talked to Heather and said, I'm not going to do a fellowship unless it gets dropped in my lap. Mm-hmm. So we were driving up here for Thanksgiving, spent it with uh, Heather's mom. And um, I got a phone call from Glenn Rectine, who was my mentor in spine surgery at USF, and said, Fred, I don't know um, where you stand, whether you want to still do a fellowship or not, but there's two places that want to talk to you. And one was uh, Texas Back Institute, mm-hmm. in Plano, Texas, and the other was University of Kansas Medical Center in Kansas City. And, and he said, call him and talk to him. So uh, I told Heather, and Heather says, call him right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I did. So I went and interviewed both places, and I really liked KU and... Uh, I had tremendous uh, mentors there. Uh, a guy named Mark Asher, who's a pediatric orthopedic spine surgeon extraordinaire, um, and another guy named Roger Jackson. They were co-directors of the fellowship, and uh, it was it was a very very good year. So um, so that's how we ended up Kansas City from Tampa. 
And then we were planning on going back to New Mexico because we really liked the Indian Health Service. Mm-hmm. But we had a uh, two phone calls one week, um, the same week. We got one phone call from Heather's mom that said it'd be nice if you live closer. <laughs> and she had never said anything in 12 years about yeah. anything like that. And also that same week, I got a phone call from the director of the program in Gallup, uh, Dr. Bill Pratt, and uh, said, what are you doing? I said, well, you know what I'm doing. I'm coming back. I said, well, let me tell you a story. <laughs> um, there was a, a guy that was wanted to come back, was an orthopedic surgeon, and he owed time, but he had kind of... Uh, stepped outside the program and done his residency and they were putting pretty big penalties on people that hadn't paid back their time. And so a lot of people were looking to pay back their time. Um, And he said, you're doing spine. He says, you can choose wherever you want to go. And I said, so Bill, what you're telling me is you don't really need me there that everything's going to be covered but if anybody ever asks, we never had this conversation. You're learning a lot about the government, Fred. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so at that same, so we got those two phone calls, and as I was looking through, there was an advertisement in uh, medical journal JBJS that Geisinger was looking for a sports medicine doctor and a spine doctor. So I called Dr. Wolfgang, Wolfgang who had yeah. been the uh, chief that had offered me the position five years earlier. Yeah. I said, Dr. Wolfgang, oh, Fred, how you doing? I said, I hear you're looking for a spine surgeon. He goes, yeah, do you know a good one? <laughs> I said, yeah, I think so. <laughs> so, uh, so we came back, interviewed, and that's how we ended up here. So we've been here since August of 90. Yeah, you came yeah. to Geisinger. Uh, basically one year before me, I came in July of 91. So we were both very much younger then. But yeah. anyway, uh, and we are so blessed that you did. I am incredibly <laughs> blessed that you did. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And for he those. He can rebuild you. <laughs> we can make two, you better. <laughs> He's got you through two BRRs, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm fixing you. Yeah. Yeah. It's not about me, but, uh, but Fred yeah. operated on me twice. So most recently this past February. Um, and, and leading up to both of them, I mean, I knew this already, but you know, I, I don't know how everybody else reacts to it, but you know, I, I really, really didn't want to have another back operation, but I had no choice, but I was talking to uh, a few people that I ran into and, uh, one was a neurosurgeon who does spines and, uh, and some other guys and, and everybody said, you know, he's the best spine surgeon in the world. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I don't know if you, how, you, how, you, how you win that title, but other people said, oh, he's the best, sign, best spine surgeon on the East Coast. So uh, we are very blessed to have him. And, and like I said, I am incredibly blessed to have him. So yeah, he had, he's, he'd been inside me two times. Yep. So anyway, now you came in 1990 uh, and you're doing spine surgery and you're doing the kids. Yes. And then as part of, as part of that, I got very involved with uh, Scoliosis Research Society and then um, a lot of the, the things we're involved with, there was a group here in town called Families for Missions. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's a bunch of different families. The common denominator was the uh, Columbia County Christian School, the mm-hmm. Bloomsburg Christian School. 
um, we would take uh, families, our families, on mission trips to Haiti, Jamaica, Appalachia, Dominican, mm-hmm. um, and just do work projects, do medical clinic, dental clinic, um, mm-hmm. and we uh, got involved with that. And then I had a, a colleague from Lewisburg. called, um, asked me if I would let him come in and watch a scoliosis surgery. I said, well, sure. So he came over, watched the case. I said, so why do you, I said, you want to start doing scoliosis? He goes, well, I'm going on a mission trip to Ecuador. And I said, oh, and there's a girl there that needs surgery. And I, I said, well, I said, Honestly, I said, if you don't do scoliosis normally, going on a mission trip probably isn't uh, the right time place, to try place to, of practice. to do it. Um, I said, I'll go with you mm-hmm. if you want. So we did. So we went down and we did, a, and it was not a simple, <laughs> was not a straightforward scoliosis. It was a young lady with Marfan syndrome and she had a, 103 degree curve and she needed an anterior posterior fusion so it was a pretty involved deal but that was the first mission trip i did and i think that was in 94 mm-hmm. and then i had a, a very good friend um through medical groups uh, dr Bowachi, um, who's from ghana and uh he uh he had s- started going back there to do some procedures and uh, there's a, a evangelist we support named Mike Silva mm-hmm. and uh, Mike was going to Ghana mm-hmm. um, and they were going to do some festivals there and he was taking his two of his four daughters on this trip and they were at church giving us an update on what was going on and uh, this was right after Haiti had had one of their coups and we were supposed to go to Haiti. It got canceled. And uh, my daughter Ashley came by while I was talking with them and said, Dad, I'm really upset we're not going to Haiti. And walks off. You know, typical 16-year-old. Uh-huh. Never experienced that. And uh, never. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but um, I said, well, do you think she'd like to go to Africa? Mm-hmm. I said, well, I said, let I said, let me pray about it. Talk to Heather. We'll pray about it and let you know. So next day I said, yeah, I think we'd, she'd like to do that. And they said, well, we'd like you to go too. Mm-hmm. So that's how we ended up going to Ghana for the first time. And while we were there at the time, flights were Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. So we called, um, I called my buddy and said, listen, I'm going to be in Ghana for like two days, is there anything I can do to help while we're in Accra? And he called me that night. He says, yeah, can you come a week early? We got a team going over. We're doing a bunch of surgeries, and we could use another surgeon. So we did. So what was going to be a one-week trip ended up being a three-week trip. So we went and did spine surgery for a week. We did worked with uh, Mike at the... Mm-hmm. Uh, Budaburam, the Liberian refugee camp, and held a festival there. And then uh, went back and took care of a couple other 
patients while the rest of the uh, focus team, Foundation for Orthopedics and Complex Spine, had gone home. Um, we stayed a couple extra days to make sure that loose ends were tied up. Yeah. And so that was in April of 2002. So what kind of a challenge is it to go to a place like Ecuador or Ghana and you're going to do these the very complex operations, um, do they have like MRI capabilities and, you know, all the technology that you need or that you utilize here? I mean, do, the look I'm he's giving you, the look he's giving you right now. Yeah. Can I just jump you, in? You, like, you mean like x-rays? Yeah, like <laughs> x-rays. Yeah. yeah. So the, the view box in Ecuador was mm-hmm. the window. Right. We, yep. put the, we put the x-ray up on the window. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you get a flashlight for the hot light? Uh, no, we actually I did have a uh, headlight. Okay, um, but the we took everything we needed. You 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 know, there's some places that have that have equipment, right? But you can't depend on whether it's there, right? Um, so it's kind of actually kind of funny. The group we went with. One of the uh, members of the local church that was su- helped support the mission trip was the director of the ICU at mm-hmm. the government hospital. Um, the government hospital would not allow foreigners to operate in the hospital. But what they would do is they would, he would take care of the patient. So what we actually did is we did the surgery in the community hospital. Transferred him. <laughs> and when we went to recovery room, recovery room was the ambulance on the way oh, to the ICU. Good Lord, that makes that, so much sense. Yeah. <laughs> right. But, you know, I mean, so part of the part of the deal with doing mission work is you have to learn to adapt yeah, be flexible. to yeah. what yeah. to what's available in there. So now did you run into um uh, what the I don't know how to ask this question. The the religions in these areas oftentimes are animalistic or you know different mm-hmm. things like that. And then, did you run into any, in any uh, kind of difficulties like with witch doctors you, and you know things you, like that? You definitely run into that. I yeah. mean, you ran it. We ran it. You run into that on the reservation and mm-hmm. on the Navajo reservation. Oh yeah, I didn't think of that. And you also run into that, and you just have to um you just have to learn how to deal with those Dang. issues never even so. never even would have thought of that yeah even crossed my mind uh, yeah one thing i was going to mention too and you know like we're an audio only podcast but like i i wish we could have like before and after pictures that i've seen of these <laughs> kids that you do surgery oh right on, yeah, yeah. That you've, that oh, it's you've, crazy. That you've shared i mean yeah. it's just it, it, it's mind-boggling to to see the pictures before you've done these surgeries and like mm-hmm. what these kids' spines look like afterwards, it's just uh, yeah, it's like mine was going to look like in about twenty years from <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. rods just keep going up the it's, back. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, right. Especially if I keep oh. doing these Blue Ridge relays and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah, it's, it's it's like I said, it's my it's mind boggling to see the before and after pictures. So yeah. Yeah, great yeah, work. great work, brother. It, you know, there's, there's, what people probably don't realize is there's that the amount of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the col- collaboration you have with the instrument makers, mm-hmm. the guys that make the rods and the screws and the plates and things, and uh, it's very intricate, right? And the measurements well, and all that. So you, you have to have a good relationship with 
industry right with you know the equipment and you have to understand it and more importantly you have to know what things can work you know because obviously um when you're doing stuff like that you're using donated equipment right so part of the trick is you have to be adept enough to know how to use stuff that you maybe wouldn't normally right. use you know it's kind of like you know do you like a ford a dodge or a chevy mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and and you, you know how people are here they they work on fords they right. don't like to work on yeah. chevys and so. i don't have a 7 <laughs> rod but i can use this half inch one probably and it'll work right <laughs> so and you know you learn and you know you simple stuff like you know so you put screws into the bones for fixation so you don't have you know how many screws do you have well <sighs> well we have 60 screws uh-huh. so <laughs> that means you probably you have to limit you know eight screws yeah. you can't use more than eight screws on a case because yeah. you won't be able to do as many people so you and then you got to figure out how to do that and right oh yeah yeah but we only have have 60 millimeter screws mm-hmm. but we're doing a kid that only will handle a 35 millimeter screw how do you fix that i don't know how what do you do you cut the screw. Guys, gonna say I was going to say <laughs> you make it shorter. I'm guessing the you make it shorter. They're going to have a pointy end then. Well, then you have to smooth it off a yeah. little. Wow. wow. See, yeah, you really got to be flexible. Ortho so. guys, they're creative dudes. They are. Right? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, we're having technical difficulties. Uh, yeah, our, our I guess mic stand stands. that keeps falling down. Sorry. Yeah. Hold on. This is what we're going to do. They're going to hold it. Yeah. yeah, he was kind enough to give you the stand. And oh, here. It didn't work out. Hold on. So while they're doing that... I was going to uh, say, do you want to throw it to a commercial? Yeah, we'll throw it to a commercial. <laughs> this is brought to you by... That's better. What is it, Zimmer? What was it? Zimmer. 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 This podcast brought to you by Zimmer. <laughs> Pew Synthes. <laughs> so now, I, I, you're probably going to get to this, but because I think I read it here, but um, how hard would it be and would it be better if you just brought the kids here? Well, one of the things that, that I did with the, the group in Ecuador is um, I convinced the hospital that it was uh, in their best interest to allow me to bring one or two kids a year yeah. here because that way stay here and keep working. Right. Um, and they would do much better financially than if I was away for two weeks. Right. Um, so. And the press ever, would be ever, good. The press ever, could be pretty good on that. Yeah. Uh, don't worry about that. So, uh, so we did. So I not only brought kids from Ecuador, we brought kids from different Latin American countries. Cause yeah. obviously there's other, other people from the hospital that do mission trips and places. Mm-hmm. And, right. you know, inevitably, usually whenever somebody came back from a trip, I get an x-ray and say, what can we do about this? And right. basically said, well, if you can talk to them and get them here, we'll, take care of them so so what kind of follow-up have you had over the years like you know the, the first cases you did you know in ecuador and ghana and stuff like that have you had follow-up with those interesting the first the first case we did um the young girl with marfans yeah um i continued to follow her and i um i saw that she was she was starting to have problems 
because one of the problems with uh, Marfan's is they get aortic dilatation mm-hmm. um, because of the disease process. And uh, actually uh, talked with one of your partners, mm-hmm. uh, one of the cardiothoracic surgeons here, and we actually brought her up here, and she had her aorta reconstructed. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. She's got uh, two operations by Geisinger surgeons. Wow. Yeah. I, th- I can't remember. I thought in the past when uh, Chris Gilbert was doing congenital cardiac surgery that we had some kids come here. Yes. I'm pretty sure that happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's, yeah, I mean, it's incredible work. And so you've been yep. doing that for, so that was 94 the first time you did that. Yes. Right? So that Marfan's girl is like 30 years older almost. Um, so, yeah, she's 50. 50. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Because I can't imagine when you have that bad a a deformity that your life expectancy is that long if you don't get it fixed. Um, They have like breathing problems and all that stuff. I mean, the the reason you fix scoliosis is because it ultimately causes pulmonary problems and cardiac problems and you end up looking like Quasimodo. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. And when you, so when you moved here in uh, 90, um, how long did it take you to find the first Baptist church? Because that's where you ended up, I ended up. We um, we actually looked at uh, two, there were two churches that we felt were pretty evangelical and uh, we were a little biased because um, we had become pretty good friends with uh, Steve and Gene Lomars mm-hmm. and they were going to First Baptist. So we actually had visited there when we... Um, when we interviewed and also when we came and were house hunting yeah. in the spring and we liked it. And the, uh, so the little bit of trivia is we, uh, we started going there. We moved here, um, a week later, uh, Harry and Lynn Wonderland and their family moved here and he became the senior pastor so uh, they came a week after we did. Yeah, and you guys became really close and friends. And we're yeah, pretty so good close, friends. Yeah, your close friendship. All yeah, so Harry that. Wonderland yes. I was uh, my first pastor because I, I grew up in the Catholic Church, but I didn't go to church. And uh, it wasn't until I turned 27 after, right after I got married that uh, I gave my life to the Lord. But after reading, I just read the Bible and gave my life to the Lord in a certain way looking around for churches, we found the First Baptist Church. And uh, it was interesting for me because, you know, growing up Catholic is like, you know, you're going to step into a Protestant church, you think you're going to get struck by lightning. And <laughs> that didn't happen. <laughs> we went to a few places. We went to Grove Presbyterian first because it was mm-hmm. pretty, you know, pretty old stone church. That's where I started reading the Bible. I picked up the Bible. And I was surprised there were Bibles in the pews because that's different than Catholic church. And I just started in page one reading. I had one at home, had one at work. But anyway, um, we walked in the Baptist church and, what struck me was, at least in our particular congregation, it's like everybody seemed like they wanted to be there. Mm-hmm. And everyone had a Bible, and they had highlights in it and writing and stuff. And, like, I know you could do that. And uh, and the people were just so friendly. And guess who sat behind us? Rob, my wife, Robin, and I come in in the church. We sit in the pew. And the couple that sits behind us are Cork and Connie Agley. Mm-hmm. Now, you folks who don't live around here don't know these guys, but Cork has passed on. 
Uh, Connie's still alive. We had Dane on. In her ni- 90s. Yeah, one of their, one of their sons, uh, Dane. It was a, was a two-episode. <laughs> uh, uh, great great uh, episodes if you haven't heard Dane Eggley's episodes with us because he's done some amazing things. But uh, right after the service, of course, Cork and Connie just, you know. Yep. Did you get a wordless bracelet? Wordless bracelet. I got a wordless bracelet. I'm sure you we yeah, we talked, and it was so they were just well known for reaching out to everybody. Yeah. And Cork would share the gospel any time he could. So you made yeah. you made Cutter very happy right now. Yeah, <laughs> Cutter. Cutter is Dane. Dane's the F three name. Cutter. Yeah. yeah. Shout out to Cutter, buddy. Uh, he knows this. I mean, we talked about it, but man, it was his his uh, parents that uh, were part of the reason that we ended up saying, "I think we'll come here." Um. Plus, the doctrine at the church matched up with what I thought came from the Bible when I read it. Yes. But, so the doctrine is important. Um, so I'm going to jump in. Yeah. Sorry. So so Heather's a nurse. Heather's a nurse. Um, so as, as you're going through all of your schooling, is is Heather being a nurse? She's working. She's working as a nurse? Yeah. She. Did uh, you guys ever work together? And how um, did that go? Very, very, <laughs> very rarely we worked together. Um, she was. She started out as an ICU nurse. Um, then she actually taught six months before we were married. She taught in uh, St. Joe's School of Nursing Program in okay. Reading. Um, when we moved to Florida, she worked ICU, and then she uh, she did that for about uh, six to eight months. And then she worked public health nursing. And then there was a uh, there was an advertisement um, from the university uh, pediatric department was looking for a nurse with ICU experience, public health experience, and they wanted to, uh, looking for someone to work in pediatric endocrinology. And it was for a, di- a diabetes nurse. Yeah. Um, so uh, she went to work with uh, Dr. John Malone, who was a wonderful, wonderful guy. And uh, he was actually my attending when I did my pediatric rotation. So she became a pediatric diabetes nurse and then became a diabetes educator um cde certified diabetes educator so she did that um until we went to new mexico she taught nursing in new mexico at a branch campus and then we when we came back she still did some diabetes education stuff and she actually continued her certification but once we um went back to tampa um, we decided it was better for her to be home with the kids. With the kids, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So she would work off and on, you know, yeah. now and then. But and then when we came up here, she's uh, she has worked at a lot of jobs where she's had her salary doubled every year. Zero times, <laughs> zero times two zero is times. Yeah. yeah. Zero times two is zero. So his but, wife is a wonderful, amazing lady, compassionate, encouraging woman. And uh, really a mentor to a lot of young ladies over mm-hmm. the years. And she leads the women's Bible study for a long time at our yeah. church. Yes. And she was the VBS coordinator for a long time. Yeah. Uh, putting on big productions. Our church used to get coordinator, right? Production skit yes. coordinator. Drama coordinator at Columbia County Christian School. Yeah. Yes. A multi-talented lady with just a heart of gold she and wants to serve the still. Lord. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. Um, anyway, so, you know, I have a, a couple like this uh to be uh, part of your church family and friends is just awesome. So, uh, and I know, you know, you just, you just couldn't uh, uh, be involved in the first Baptist church without being a deacon for multiple times. Right. <laughs> yes, it, that's it, correct. Including currently you and dial up are both on the deacon board. Oh, 
So it's interesting. Uh, Deacon, uh, being a deacon reminds me of a very interesting story. When we went to uh, Gallup, we visited the Baptist church in Gallup. And um, we visited there, and then we were visit- had a home visitation by, by the board at the church. And uh, we're talking to them, and um, they, uh, they came and talked to us and kind of asked them, you know, some about their theology and stuff. They said, well, you know, if you want to join, we, you know, you need to be baptized and, and I said, well, we've, we've both been baptized. Well, we want you to be baptized here. And I said, well, why would you want to do that? And they said, well, you know, we're, we're deacons and we go through this. What they didn't know is um, when we were in medical school, um, we joined... Uh, a Baptist church uh, that was pastored by a former chaplain, uh, Charles Massey. And, uh, and I was elected to the deacon board there and was ordained as a deacon in the Baptist church. So they were telling us all this. And I said, um, so what you're telling me is that even though we're believers and we've been baptized, you want us to be baptized again? I said, can you give me definition of that? Well, if you understood Baptist theology, I said, so if you were an ordained deacon in the Baptist church, would you understand Baptist theology? (laughs) (laughs) And they said, well, well, yeah. I said, well, I'm having a hard time since I am, and you're telling me I need to be baptized again. We didn't go to that church. <laughs> <laughs> they had special water. They had special, special water. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it was, that was kind of funny. I have a question for you guys. Uh-oh, go ahead. This has never happened before. All right. Do you ever have a guest ask us a question? I, I want you to give me your favorite vi- verse and tell me why. Go ahead, dial up. So okay. I, Go ahead. Yeah, this is gonna this is gonna sound like a cop out because it's it's the most quoted Bible verses out there. But it is John three sixteen. Just it's the pure and simple message, and you love it because like so many people have heard it, and it's a great testimony to. Um, it, it's a great it's a great way to to reach others. You know, they've seen it, they've heard it. It's a great connection to first share that Bible verse with somebody, and like, do, do you know what it means? You know, and start that conversation yes. with somebody uh, of the of the of the path of salvation. That's not a cop out. Yeah, mm-hmm. it that's seems like great. it is though, right? Because it's like, oh, everybody, that's the classic Sunday school answer. But yeah, and I can give you mine, and you know, it's interesting. In my life, it's changed like mm-hmm. from, it, multiple times. It depends on like the phase of life I'm in and kind of where I'm at and my my faith walk and that kind of stuff. And hopefully, I'm constantly maturing in the faith. And um, so right now. As of, I don't know, the last year, um, it's Philippians 2, 3. Say, uh, do nothing out of self-ambition or vain conceit, but in all things consider others more highly than yourself. And um, and, and so much so that I have I have this whiteboard 
that I use to write down the workouts when I queue and I take, you know, bring it to the workouts. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, um, a few months ago I was driving in my garage and it was, it would sit so that I could see it when I'm pulling straight into the garage. I just had my previous workout there and I thought to myself, I'm really not doing really well, good job with this verse. So I'm going to put it on my whiteboard so that every time I pull in the garage, you see it. I just see Philippians two, three. And, um, it's not there now because I, I queued not too long ago and I put a workout in there. So now I've got to redo it. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's what's the verse that I've been convicted by this year. Philippians two, three, it used to be, um, oh my gosh, I'm going to forget now. Romans eight. I can't remember. Um, for a while it was, uh, while we're yet sinners. Five, Jesus, he died for us. So, you know, I, but God shows his love for us and that while we were sinners, sinners, Christ Christ died died for for us. us. And, uh, that was a big one for me because I knew how bad of a sinner I was. So that was, so I guess it's, you know, I have a hard time picking one, but that, but this yeah. year, that verse, Philippians 2, 3, has, uh, is what's really convicted me Good. and spoke to me. Especially after somebody my- sent a comment and said, I'm a narcissist. <laughs> on the, uh, <laughs> I, I, I wondered, I, 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 I recognized the connection there, just so you know. <laughs> uh, well, it was before that that yeah. I was thinking about, but anyway, uh, but yeah, because, and we were just talking to our last, well, what now will be last week's guest, uh, AP, and... Um, and I said that I think this F3 thing, basically what it teaches, to sum it up, is it's not about you. Yeah. And that's what F3 tries to teach because it's supposed to be a leadership development uh, program. In that, we recognize that A, uh, God is first, and B, everyone else is second. So yeah. It's called living third. Um, so you know, I fail at that almost every day. Yeah. If, in anything, if, if in nothing else in my thought life, yep. right? So, uh, so that's been a very convicting verse for me this year. Jumping back to right. Romans six, uh, Romans three, Romans three sixteen too. One other thing, I, I don't know whether I ever shared this, but you know, I I, I grew up in a little town of Center Hall, and uh, this bus would come through the neighborhood and pick up the kids and take them up to Calvary mm-hmm. at this church up on top of Center Hall Mountain, which had an Awana program. Ah, and so like that was my first real exposure to the church. Like I was baptized as an as an infant, right, and would go to church occasionally, but to go and be part of that congregation well not not part of that congregation but part of that program you know uh that was romans 3 6 like that was one of the the first bible verses you learned in awanas right because like every john week 3, john 3, or john 3, john three sixteen. sorry um yeah where'd that come from uh you know that was like one of the first bible verses you would learn yes. right whenever you were going through the awanas program and i just remember you know the gentleman the, the gentleman that was you know our our leader like just invested so much time you know and it's one of those things like you know, with regrets it's like man i wish i could go back and he, he ended up dying young but like you wish you could go back and thank him mm-hmm. you know for that time that he invested in that program because that was the that was the first time that like the word really got a hold of me as a as a young person you know and uh you know my real faith didn't really grow and blossom until i was an adult but like that was that was like my first yeah. exposure to to, to scripture and God's God's love and God's message of salvation. So it's pretty, pretty cool. Very nice. So Which, it's only and, fair. And, and then to end up here at yeah. First Baptist Church and like, yeah. Awana. I'm like, what? here we are. They, they got an Awana program. And the next thing you know, yeah, Denise and I are like leading the cubbies, like the, you know, the little munchkins and stuff like that. It's like, wow, like it all has come full circle, which yeah. is really cool. Very cool. So what's yours? Um, Isaiah 40, 31. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. He gives strength to the weary and power to his saints. 
Nice. It's actually 31 and 29, but that's that's okay. I heard run and not be weary in there. (laughs) I heard that. It it actually could be the F3 verse. You heard fly equals fly. (laughs) (laughs) You heard fly equals fly. Yeah. What you you talking about, dial up? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, exactly. I remember when I got baptized because my wife and I joined First Baptist Church as a Catholic. Of course, I was baptized as an infant. That doesn't count when you're a Baptist. So now I got to get baptized. So we got baptized in the Pappas's pool. So it was a summertime yep. outdoor in the pool at a big pool party afterwards. And a number of people got baptized, but I had to pick a verse. I couldn't, of course, I couldn't pick one. So I picked two, I think. And I don't even remember the second one. One of them was, and I'm not going to remember it now. It's in Ecclesiastes. It's something about eating. It's Ecclesiastes two twenty five. I knew you were going to know this because you told me, you came up thou, to me afterwards. So it's one of your favorite. Thou shall eat wings for, weekly. Yes. No. <laughs> for who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? Yeah. And I have to give credit to that verse to my very good friend, Walt Schaffner. Walt okay. was very big in navigators. Walt was actually part of the FCA group in high school. Um, and um, unbeknownst to me, he told me later, we became uh, accountability brothers uh, with, uh, with a guy who was the quarterback on the high school football team, Billy mm-hmm. Knight. Um, when we went back to Tampa, because he was in Tampa at the time. Um, but uh, the Navigators guys um, made something called Tampa Connection, which was, for practical purposes, a chocolate milkshake. But there was a technique <laughs> to making it, and you had to use Bosco oh, okay. oh. chocolate syrup. Uh-huh. And the most important part of it, though, was as you were mixing it, you had to quote Ecclesiastes <laughs> 2.25. <laughs> I think we've I think yeah. we've talked about if you get a tattoo, like what would it be? I think mm-hmm. we found it. <laughs> Nothing represents you more than that, brother. I think that is your tattoo that you're getting. Yeah, uh, this is a oh. temple. You know, I, I'll show you my tattoos. I got an incisional scar here. I don't know whether scar. anybody else is enjoying this podcast, but we are. <laughs> yeah, that was good. So uh, I got I got to ask you some questions that uh, that everybody I think would be interested in um, as, as an orthopedic surgeon, right? Yes. There are a lot of exercises we do. Ooh. And uh, as somebody with back problems, I, I, I'm more in tune with watching guys and how they do certain exercises. And uh, so obviously there's ones I can't do anymore, but uh, burpees are a big exercise everywhere. Yes. Um, is the advantage of doing burpees outweigh the disadvantage? I mean, I, when you're young and supple, you could do almost anything. But when, when you're young and supple, you can do most. Every, you're absolutely correct. Um, as you get older and your joints creak, mm-hmm. um, it gets much more difficult uh, to do that, and the chances of you. Um, Injuring multiple possibilities is higher, right? But my my general answer is, if you can do exercises and they're comfortable for you, mm-hmm. that's okay. If you realize that they're not being comfortable, eh, then maybe you need to find modifications, right, to do them. Yeah, and another exercise or something they call kettle swings. So 
it's typically with kettlebells. We do them with cinder blocks. Coupons. So 35-pound cinder blocks. And when you just step back and watch everybody, I would say, and this is just a rough estimate, 90% of guys aren't doing it right. In other words, they're really bending their backs and stuff instead of squatting and, like, you know, thrusting their hips the way they should. Yes. They don't keep their spine straight, you know, the whole time you watch it. So um, what do you think about that exercise? Because I think you're just looking for trouble with that one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Throw that one out, dial up. <laughs> All but, you but, iron but packs it's, people. It's like, it's like a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of exercises if you mechanically do them correctly. Right. Form over speed. They're they're okay. Yeah. 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 The problem is that two things. One is that, you know, in these in these workouts, it's even though we say it's not a competition, when you got, you know, ten guys doing the same thing and you know, guys are trying to go faster because they wanna they don't they wanna be the, the six, right? So they wanna go they try and then they their form suffers. But the other thing is I don't think we have a very good understanding of our own form when we're doing something. I know that from the golf swing for, you know, a good example. You know, we think we're, we look a certain way. Take a video and you really don't. You don't look like Tiger Woods. No, no. (laughs) Uh, In your dreams you do. Right. (laughs) Yeah. The the go F yourself, the go film yourself movement that comes out of the iron packs is is really applicable all the time. Because I I, I actually enjoy sometimes when you do little video kit, video clips. Right. Of our packs, and I get a chance to see myself because, like, I, I think I have good form, but then I see it's like, ooh, I could really clean this up or right. clean that up, yeah, and do better with that. Um, I, I was going to share. I don't know whether you remember no, this, but you know, twenty years ago, you know, uh, my wife, I think we had just started attending First Baptist Church, and I was mountain biking, being stupid, ended up with a compression fracture and you know, one of my vertebrae, and uh, you know, Tim, Tim Eckle, Doctor Eckle, he. Uh, had an x-ray done, had you take a look at it. And I remember your, your words to me were just simply, uh, don't get, don't get fat and keep, and keep your back strong. <laughs> like it was essentially your message and I won't have any problems with it because, and I didn't listen, right? Like I had kids and got lazy and I got a little overweight and, got fat and, and lost grew a beard and, and yeah, got fat, grew a beard and, and got a little overweight and, and lost some of my uh, core strength. And it, it grew in time to where like, you know, at least once a year, probably twice a year, like it, it like it, I, I would say it slips and I, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I'm like walking all cattywampus and just can't do anything. I can't stand up straight. And then like, you know, after a few days it goes back to normal F3. Like since I've been doing that, I think, you know, in the past three, what, three and a half years now, um, like once I've had that issue. And it was when I was like really fatigued. I'd been working Probably when out you're doing kettlebell super swings. hard. And no, it wasn't burpees or kettlebell swings. Mm-hmm. But it's a testimony to F3, though, to, to me, though. Yeah, there you can have bad form. Um, you can have injuries. But there, there's also a ton of benefits to the stuff that we do with core strength. Yeah. Um, core, core strengthening is is the, and the, and the protective weight, and the weight loss thing for your back. F3, mm-hmm. yeah. So there's there's definitely risk, but there's also a lot of reward. Yeah, are there any other exercises that you would say we ought to be real cautious with or just don't do? Um, power power lifting in general. Um, if you do it correctly, it's good. Um, oftentimes what I tell, tell people that are very into weightlifting and they want to power lift, um, I say power lift but don't do what you're used to doing, which is 
go for your max. Yeah, right. You know, cut it down to two-thirds or 50% of what you do. And instead of trying to just do that, do it for reps. You know, do 50% of what you would normally do and do it for... Higher rep, ten or ten or fifteen reps, and the end result of that is going to be much better for you in the long run. And you're not going to, and your risk of injury is going to be much less. And you're probably going to end up getting overall your conditioning is going to be better. Your raw power may not be quite as high, but in the end, in the end result, you're probably going to be much better off, and your power is actually going to probably be a lot better than you realize yeah Yeah. the hardest thing is to convince yourself i don't need to find out how much i can do right yeah yeah that's a hard one especially when you're younger you're not gonna have much power if you're injured right that's how i hurt my back i was 40 so it's one of the problem one of the problems with f3 like you said competition right there's no testosterone yeah absolutely none (laughs) yeah none none at all and you know it's and that it's also a good thing because it helps push you helps you push a little bit past your comfort zone or so, but uh, yeah. yeah, the focusing on form is so important. And I, and I know a lot of guys out there are young listening to this. They're like, yeah, whatever. But, uh, and, uh, but take it from the people who have been there, done that. The uh, rent comes due when you're doing, uh, especially if you're lifting heavy you weights. You can pay me now right? or you can pay me later. <laughs> <Right? Yeah. laughs> or you could come see Dr. Hess. <laughs> so, but, uh, but I, you know, I, I, uh, you just, I think for me, uh, you just can't stop. I think, uh, you know, the, it's, it's hard to, to, uh, to keep going when you have injuries and stuff like that, but you just can't stop. You can always do something. And, uh, you know, I look back after my back surgery in February. Uh, so I, you could describe it better, but I had two lumbar, uh, Dispace fused, so a double fusion. And um, it was at February 17th. I looked at my Strava because I used to wear my watch when I go for walks. Uh-huh. And my Stra- in, in March, I walked 62 miles in March. And then that was like wa- initially walking across the street and back was as far as I can go. But I do that five times a day or six times a day. And then I just kept building up. But anyway, um, there's no substitute for that, right? There's no sub. I mean, if you want to... if. If you can only do one exercise, walking is the best exercise you can do. Yeah. Walking, baby. Not yet, though, dial-up. With a 30-pound plate. (laughs) (laughs) I got permission to rock. I know you My spine surgeon gave me permission. He told me not to do anything crazy, though, so I don't know how you define that yet. I let you define that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now apparently I need my shoulder looked at. But anyway, uh, it doesn't hurt now. It just doesn't work right. All right. So um, any other questions to help? I think I've asked mine as we went along here. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're, are you ready for the big two? Well, Fred, do you have anything else to share that you'd like people to know? I think that's, that's most of the stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. You know, I, I've known you for 20 years. I've never, I've heard a lot of the rest of your story, but I never, mm-hmm. I actually never heard your testimony of how you, how you came to know the Lord, which was, yeah. so that was awesome to hear tonight. So I asked a question on the elder, with the elder board. I'm, so for those that don't know, I'm on the elder board at our church. Um, how, how much more difficult it is sometimes 
in certain things, uh, when you're, when you come to faith at a young age, you're like eight, nine years old or whatever, as opposed to coming to faith when you're like in your, in adulthood and how different that is. Yeah. Um, I, you know, we had, we were, we were talking about, um, a particular issue, a doctrinal issue. And it seemed to me, it seems to me like the guys that were, uh, came to know the Lord at a younger age are a little bit more rigid. And, and maybe I might be, maybe I'm wrong or maybe I'm general journalizing when I shouldn't, but, uh, but, and, and everyone's wonderful. I mean, we're all, we came to, we all always come to an agreement. We always, uh, are very, um, true to the, uh, God's word, but, uh, but that seems to me like that's the case. It's like as the older people that I know that come to the Lord, they're a little bit more leaning toward grace I, for a lack of a better way to describe it. I mean, what do you guys think? It's about wearing jeans and not wearing a tie when you're, <laughs> when you're, when you're leading prayer. <laughs> because, well, no, because our senators but, don't have to dress up anymore. Uh, yeah, so I, like, saw I saw that. If it's good enough for them, it's good enough for the yeah. church, right? <laughs> think the... Um, There prob- I think there probably is something to that. I yeah. think, um, I think if you if you come to faith as a youngster, um, you you under you understand that. But then, as you um, you realize that there is a lot of stuff that goes on as you go through. Li- I mean, sin doesn't leave your life, right? And you have to learn yeah. how to deal with that. Yeah. And um, I think if you if you understand God's God's grace and love for you, mm-hmm. you you kind of learn how to deal with that. But you also um, probably have uh, trying to find the right word. Um, rid, rigid is one word. But I think the you realize that you don't you you can't back off what you're what you believe and what you stand for. Do you think those folks that and, are a little more hard on themselves? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um. And and part of part of it comes to you know you say well share you know share your testimony. Right. Well, most most kids that come believe as uh, as a kid. Um really aren't very excited to share their testimony because it's kind of boring. Right. Yeah. It's not, you know, I I wasn't a drug dealer, you know, the Lord. Um, But, but the, but the reality and the realization is that um, if you were the only person in the world, God still loved you enough that he would have died for you. Yeah. And when you, when you grasp that, then you understand, yeah, it may not be, your testimony may not be exciting, but I guarantee you it's exciting to Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So. That's, that's a great way to put it. I think, I, you know, yeah. I've, I've been so content in my faith <clears throat> and, uh, and I know how much of a sinner I am. And, but I don't beat myself up over it. I feel bad about it. I don't like it. Um, I wish I didn't. Uh, but I know that I don't, lo- I don't lose my standing 
in God's eyes, because when he sees me, he sees Jesus. He sees the, the, the sacrificial death, the atonement that, that I'm under because of his uh, death and resurrection. And, but, and, and I know he loves me no matter what, that's never going to change. Yeah. Right. And, uh, I was like, I, and I learned from that. And like when I teach people in the operating room now, like I teach p- new PAs, you know, how to harvest vein mm-hmm. and things like that. And I'm in, so now I'm, I tell them, you know, cause they're always nervous, right? It's a very scary thing, stressful thing. And, um, I say, there's nothing that you can do right now to disappoint me or impress me. And, and that comes from my feeling about my relationship with Jesus. Like, I, like my our, our righteousness are like filthy rags to him, right? Yeah. yeah, he wants us to be good and obey him. But we can't do anything that's good enough. Um, and that's the whole point of grace. So I can't do anything that's good enough, that, that, that's impressive to him. But he'll sure, sure cheer me on. Uh, and I can't do anything to disappoint him because he's already covered it. Plus, he already knew I was going to do it before he died. So, yeah. And if that, I don't know if that makes sense to people, but I, I hope that there's people out there who'll benefit from what we're talking about because um, the whole message is God loves you, man, and it's not about you. Everything's about Him, and uh, put your faith in Jesus Christ. He is uh, the only way to the Father, and um, it's because He loves you and He died for you amidst all your brokenness and ugliness, yeah, and sinfulness, yeah, just as I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Sorry, I had a, a partner um, named Ron Wisniewski, wonderful spine surgeon, orthopedic spine surgeon, and um, we're good friends. But he had several sayings that I just really like, and one of them is grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. Yeah. And uh, I also liked his definition of the Bible. Basic instructions before leaving earth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's good. But probably his most important one um, for those of us that are married are happy wife, happy Happy life. Yes. (laughs) How about it? We all know that. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, um, last two questions. Go ahead. Um, We asked this of all our guests. First one is, if you were to pick somebody, it could be somebody from the distant past, somebody that you know, somebody, doesn't matter, um, that you would say is your hero, inspired you, anything like that, who would you pick? Just your mic there. Something's there. There Better. it is. Sorry. You got your back. That's all right. Um You can pick more I, than one I, if you want. I, I have I have several uh, people that uh, I would consider uh, a hero. Um, three of them are my you know, probably four of them are are my uh, accountability partners that um, we've more or less been together since we moved here. And that's uh, 
Harry Wonderland, mm-hmm. uh, Bob Davies, Tim Eckel, mm-hmm. and Jim Hawkins. Mm-hmm. So um, I would, uh, they're my uh, very close friends, but I would say that they're my heroes. Um, it's pretty humbling to talk about who who your heroes are. Yeah, it is. Those are some good men that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. So. Jim Hawkins is F three Susquehanna Valley's Nemo. Yeah, <laughs> seventy four years old and killing it out there. Maters is two point Yeah, that's right. Um, there's. There's so many. There's so many people that have um, inf- influenced my life and what I do. Um, I've met, mentioned several of them from New Mexico, mm-hmm. um, and I've had some uh, very interesting um, men that taught me along the way. Um, But I think the other the other people that would uh, really come to my mind, and I I mentioned him already, is uh, Walt Schaffner. Um, has just been a very very special friend, and just seeing um, how he has lived his uh, life. Um, as a music teacher, as a principal at school, mm-hmm. and being in charge of uh, programs, that has been uh, very uh, exciting. Exciting for me, and that's it's also exciting because he uh, shared with me that um, he went to FCA, but he wasn't an athlete; he was a band guy. Uh-huh. And, um, but he said things at the, at the FCA really made an impression on him. And he said there was one person in particular that made an impression on him was one of the football players, which was unbeknownst to me. I made some sort of impression on him. Mm -hmm. And he said that was a big part of me accepting the Lord. Nice. So that's near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Well, you, you made an impression on a lot of people. Yeah. So, and I've got your autograph to prove it. <laughs> uh, so the last question is, this is a chance for you to speak to the men of America. So what message would you have for the men of America? Um, the, the message I would have is... Uh, you... Uh, you need to make a stand for what you believe in. Um, and I think probably one of the most important ways you can make uh, that stand is there's a, uh, there's a song that uh, Michael W. Smith popularized. It's called This Is How We Fight Our Battles. Yeah. Make a stand for what you believe in. Hopefully you believe in the truth. 
You fight the battles in prayer. You fight the battles in prayer. Yep. And, you know, but prayer prayer is only effective when when you allow the Lord to live in your heart and show you the show you what he wants you to do. And I think the hardest part of that is for us to um, shut our mouths, open our ears, open our eyes, and listen for his still small voice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because he does. Um, there's a guy named Paul Brand who's a pretty famous orthopedic hand surgeon. And he uh, he wrote a book, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. Mm-hmm. But he also wrote uh, a second book um, after that called The Gift of Pain. Now, Dr. Brand worked with leprosy, mm-hmm. which is uh, a mycobacterium infection, same thing as tuberculosis. It's a variation of that that um, affects the nerves. So we know we read about the leprosy in the Bible and you know people lose their ears, lose their eyes. Well, they, that all happens because they, the infection affects the nerves and makes it insensate. Mm-hmm. so you can't feel it so things we normally do like if you flick your fingers on the table yeah you do that you get a little tear and then the next thing you know half your fingers gone because you've just rubbed it off and you don't even know it yeah and they lose their eyebrows and their nose and their lips and and that's that's the disease and so it's a it's a pretty dreadful disease um and he shares a very poignant story as he's riding in a train and he realizes he can't feel his foot. Oh. And this is after he's worked in the in India in the Carville lep- uh, Leprosy Hospital. Um, and he started the Leprosy Hospital in the U.S. after that, but he said, uh, Wow, Lord. So now I finally, now I have leprosy after working with it all these years. And he was sitting there and he was kind of going back and forth in this conversation with God. And all of a sudden, he realized his toe was hurting. Basically what had happened is his leg had gone to sleep. <laughs> but, but, but his, his statement was, oh, and the glorious sensation of pain, uh, right? And the the end result of that is that the title of his book is "The Gift of Pain." It, God's gift for us is that He speaks to us in a quiet whisper, but He shouts to us in our pain. In our pain, yeah. and but pain is a gift because it keeps us from doing things or being in places we don't want to be. Right. I mean, we all we all can remember telling our kids, don't touch that. Don't touch the stove. Yeah. <laughs> and eventually you sit there and you watch them and you let them touch the stove because yeah. the only way they learn is they have to 
experience the pain yeah. to learn. So I think one of the one of the things I would I would share with men is understand there is pain in not listening to what the Lord calls you to do. Mm-hmm. But appreciate it, but be able to accept that and learn to share his love what's in your heart with who you need to very nice and i think didn't you bring dr brand to geisinger to give grand rounds yes i thought so that was quite a while ago now yes that was probably around 94 93 94 yeah that, that book, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, I read it, it, it a long time ago. It's a great book. It's awesome. So anybody is interested, um, he basically goes through the, the systems of the body, right? Yes. As illustrations for um, the truth, uh, yes. the biblical truth and God's truth. Really, really good. And, of course, that comes from, uh, help me out. Psalm 103. Psalm 103. I believe. For you are fearfully, wonderfully made. Yes. All right. Very nice. All right, Dial-Up, you got anything else? I got nothing. Good stuff. All right. So, you know, we've got a guy here who's dedicated his life to helping others. Uh, spent a lot of time training, a lot of experience to do it. Led down different paths, experienced uh, some trials along the way. Uh, remained true to his convictions and his heart. and uh, Always followed the path that the Lord was setting before him. Yeah, so I, I think that we just spoke to another high-impact man. Amen, absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to share one more thing with you. Oh, yeah. I, always, I oftentimes close our Sunday school class uh, with this, First uh, Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to share the hope that you have in him, yet with gentleness and kindness. Mm-hmm. Very nice. And... That's the hope that people see in you. So hopefully people see the hope in you. Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> I hope. I hope. <laughs> Thank All you right, so much, guys. Yeah, hey. it's been our pleasure. It's been uh, just awesome, man. Thank you. And I hope you enjoyed that smoked meatloaf. It was delicious. <laughs> thank you for listening to this week's episode. I would like to thank our guests for joining us and sharing their story of becoming a high-impact man. More information and resources can be found at highimpactman.com. If you like this podcast, please consider following us on our social media pages or email us at him at highimpactman.com. That is H-I-M at highimpactman.com. The High Impact Man podcast has a new episode every week, and you can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcast platforms. Have a great week, everyone.